on the air. Ah, it's good to see everyone that's made it out today, and uh, I pray the Lord will bless. I wanted to share with you a, uh, I don't know how many of y'all were able to tune in on uh, Friday or see a little bit of our, or not Friday, but Wednesday of our Zoom meeting, but we were blessed to have Brother Mike McCartney and uh, his wife Shirley were with us, and uh, we cheated a little bit. We went over to Casa Grande and got a good little bite to eat. Mike speaks enough Spanish to be in trouble. And uh, so he was talking to the people in Spanish, and they would look at him with cross eyes, everything else. But he wrote us a nice little note, and uh, here's the thing that's interesting. He goes, thank you to Grace uh, Baptist and Brother Mike for your hospitality, to Sojourners Mike and Shirley. Next time we're passing through, I will text you in hopes of stopping by again. I'm not sure at this time if we will be coming through this area again or on this trip, but we will let you know if we do. Thanks again for your hospitality. Mike and Shirley McCartney, can I join you on Zoom sometime again? So uh, that's the good news. He wants to join us, so we'll send him out a regular invitation to make sure that we have that as well. Uh, it was a pleasure to have Brother Mike with us, and uh, I added him to the prayer sheet as well for uh, this week. And uh, many of the others we added as well, so we do appreciate everyone being diligent to pray, not only for them. Last year, if you recall, Brother Mike and his wife did visit with us, and uh, he came with the truck only. He didn't come with his camper. And the reason is, he took off about two feet of his camper by going under an overpass or an underpass that um, was a little bit lower than the uh, camper was high, and uh, so he damaged it beyond repair. The good news is, he has a new camper, and uh, he's excited about that. And uh, they just wanted to come in, and I told him, I said, well, you come again, and we'll make sure that you're taken care of. Anyway, let's take our Bibles. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I pulled off another one of our little sheets that we have over here. Uh, and it was interesting about how that this came about. So as you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you will humor me, I'll give you the story. Uh, one of the things that was pointed out to me was uh, by someone that I was talking to. They said the gospel was being preached and the church was in disarray. And I went, well, okay. And, and I, suddenly I wanted to hear the story. He said, they argued, they fought like cats and dogs. They were challenging each other and everything. And yet the gospel was being preached. And I was saved in spite of the church being dysfunctional. And I kind of laughed at that. And I said, isn't it interesting that while the church thinks itself as an identity under Christ, we can take our eyes off Christ, and yet the gospel stands alone. And so, who knows what wonderful things can occur from that. I don't know how many of you know this, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we have the perfect definition of what the gospel is all about. I want us to look at this. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also you are saved, if we keep in memory, that I preached unto you, unless ye believe in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scripture, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, and after that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are falling asleep. 
Today we want to take a message, or we want to look at the message of what the gospel is all about. I want to kind of give you an understanding of some of the things that we see from the Word of God, and it is interesting that the story that the person told me would actually fit into the message here today as well. So what is the gospel is the question, and of course the, the one that we are going to be looking at as we look at the gospel for our message today. Father, again, we want to thank you for your presence and for the mercies that you show us. We are thankful, Lord, that uh, you have allowed us to assemble together, and we pray then we'll be faithful until your return, that we may not only be faithful in our assembly, but, Father, through holding to the truth of your word. Now, Lord, we thank you for the humor that we've enjoyed together today. Lord, thank you for your blessings. Thank you for watching over us. Now, we pray that you will continue to bless and direct us as we serve you and lead and bless now. In Christ we pray. Amen. I want us to understand a little bit about the gospel, especially as we are going to be looking at some of the uh, amazing things that we see from the Word of God. Now, I always love the, the Greek word for gospel that, that, as we see it. The gospel as we understand it from the Koine Greek is euanglion. Isn't that great? Let's all say it together. Euanglion. I know that was a real pitiful way of saying it. Euanglion, okay? Now, I didn't bring it up for us to be able to see, but what's interesting is, in its great message, is the word good tidings, or great joy. So when we take a look at the message of the gospel, which we see here in verse 1, it says, I deliver to you all the gospel. And notice that again, and here's what I love about this passage. Paul... make us wonder, at what point did he hear the message? He heard the message from no doubt, hearing it from Stephen as he was being stoned to death, but he was also the one to persecute many people, or many believers, who were Jewish, and he was literally given permission by the high priests and the Pharisees and everyone else, the religious rulers, to continue on with the persecutions in that area. So here was the Jewish people wanting to persecute other Jewish people who were believing that Jesus Christ was Messiah. Well, it was during that time that Paul had to be perplexed at the peacefulness, at the wonderfulness, and the message that these people were holding to. And then finally we read over in the book of Acts how that Paul was struck down by a great love of Jesus Christ came to him, Saul. Jesus was being persecuted through us. Now what's interesting to me, especially as I study the Word of God, is that we see over and over again the message of hope that is presented to us by the gospel in Jesus Christ. And so his death, as we just read here, his burial, as we just read, his resurrection, and the evidence of his resurrection, which we're going to get into as well. So I have three particular areas that I want us to look at. First of all, what is the gospel? The second, uh, about his trial and his proven innocent. And the third, the hope of the gospel. So as we look at it today, I want us to share with you a couple of things that are important. Let's hold our place here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's go back to the book of Luke. 
where all began. In the book of Luke, there is an interesting passage that most of people miss when it comes to the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I made a mention of this one time to a preacher, and, and he was really offended by what I had to say in this. But in verse 10 it says, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings. That word in Luke chapter 2, verse 10, is luanguiazo, or luanguiazo. Now when we take a look at it, and again, this is how we understand the pronunciation should be, it means good news. So here's the angels declaring unto the, to the shepherds that are in the field, Behold, I bring you luanguiazo. place in that little barn stall, if you will, or that cave where Jesus was born, was that here you were going to have these smelly shepherds that were watching the, she the sheep at night, and they would come in to see Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, as he was now going to be delivered. And it says also where they can go find him, for unto you is born. understand this. Our Bible is a Bible full of the Bible. But I want you to understand that every little aspect that we see where there's an announcement of good news, we should take heart which was in the extreme north. And they had to travel about 90 miles along the rugged terrain of the Jordan River in order to get to Bethlehem. Because you see, he was of the house of David. And so here comes Joseph. of the good news of Jesus Christ. Understand this. We have to see that he is ever looked at it before. Let's go back to the book of Exodus chapter 12 
And I want you to see how that he was worthy in every aspect. Not only was he born of a virgin, as was declared in the Old Testament, not only was he born in Bethlehem, as we are told, not only would, there, would he be coming out of Egypt, as we are told in Scripture, the Old Testament, not only was there Rachel's lament, but I want us to see the obscurity of Exodus chapter 12. Now watch this. Beginning in verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be, un, uh, shall be unto you the beginning of months. This is the month of Abib, the month of Nisan. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house. Your land shall and a you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it. Now watch this, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. I want you to get this. They would put the they would put the lamb aside on the tenth. Then on the eleventh, so tenth, eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, five days. There had to be a proving that this lamb was mentally able to handle the sacrifice as much as anything else that had to occur. So when the lamb was separated, not only was this lamb there, but I want you to get this. We see the same thing with Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, and I want you to see this. Many times, and I pointed this out to someone one time, they said, well, yeah, that's important. No, no, no. It's vital. Because Jesus, to be the fulfilled Lamb of God, he had to prove that he was worthy. Now, once you look at this, in verse 1, then Jesus, six days before the Passover, remember that the sacrifice had to occur before Passover day. So that means five Verse 1, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was dead, whom he raised from the dead. And they made him supper, and Mary served. Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. It's interesting that you begin to see this wonderful message. But let's go on a little bit further. Then took Mary. Now, again, I, I want to point this out to you. There's already five days that Jesus Christ is going to be separated. Five days. And in that fifth day of separation, just as the lamb that had to be separated on the tenth day of the month, so is Jesus Christ going to be separated. But look at the rest of the story and see if I'm not correct. Then it took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? And he said, Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had the bag 
which was with him, which was put therein. And he then said, Jesus, let her alone. And here's the reason why. Let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor you shall have always with you, but you have not me always. Do you get this? Even on the sixth day, Jesus Christ was fulfilling the responsibility of the lamb that would go all the way back from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, 1 through 5, and we can see the whole aspect of separation and observance. When I begin to think about this, we also have to understand that Jesus was the perfect requirement for us to see the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let's go back over to the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. And I've heard so many wonderful sermons over this particular passage. And I I just want to make this known to you. In Isaiah chapter 53, let's go to verse 1 and notice what it says. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall go up before him as a tender plant, and as a root on a dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. Now understand this. He was Jewish, yes. He was brown-eyed, yes. Didn't he have long hair? I wasn't there. Though I have my doubts, because he had a Nazarite vow, but he was from Nazarene. And because he was from Nazareth, he was a Nazarene, and so he did not have that same vow. But isn't it interesting that so many people want him to look beautiful in their paintings? They want him to look comely. Oh, if I saw someone like that, if I saw someone that looked like Mel Tellis or everyone else, I would probably gravel to them. But if it was someone that came in with their beauty and their, and their exceptionalism, the world will clamor after that one. That's Antichrist. But not Jesus. Jesus came and there was no comeliness. There was nothing about him that we would desire him. He fasted. He was frail. He was weak. Yet he was powerful. Look what else it says. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. And he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. I've heard so many people say that, you know, we are going to pay for our sins. We have to give an account for our sins. But he has already paid the price. He's already paid the price. And if he's already paid the price, why is there a double jeopardy? There isn't one. He's paid the price. He was bruised for our iniquities, and chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. I know the healing effects of my Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to see this as well. Not only, and this brings us into the second part, he was tried and proven. I want you to see this. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. And I want you to see, beginning in Matthew chapter 21. This seems like a strange place to begin. But here we, in Matthew chapter 21, we find that the Lord is going to return finally to Jerusalem. He has never gone to Jerusalem since he performed that one miracle in which he healed a man on the Sabbath day by the pool of Bethsaida. 
But look what it says, if you will now. Let's go to verse 1. Notice what it says. And when he drew nigh unto Jerusalem, and were come to Beth, Beth uh, Page, unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway you shall find an ass tied, and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. Now, how many times have people wondered why Jesus wanted the colt of an ass? I'll explain that to you. If any man say aught unto you, you shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. Now, does it say that this man is a believer? We don't know. But here's the next thing. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek, and sending upon an ass, and a colt, and a foal of an ass. And his disciples went, and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put them under, and put upon them their coats, or their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from trees and strawed them in the way. And the multitude that went before and followed cried, uh, cried, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now let's stop here for a moment. What was going on? Do you realize by Jesus sitting on that colt, he was declaring himself to be king of kings. Let this sink in for a moment. When Jesus sat on the cult, that cult would never be used again except for Jesus' work. And so when he was upon that cult, and as it was being led into the city, and as people began to straw these, their coats and they're their, their waving these great ferns and things like that, and they were crying out, Hosanna, they were literally saying, this is the king. This is the one we've waited Notice again, when we find this, again look at what it says in verse 10. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, And coming to this, and he's entering into Jerusalem, he's still... that everyone was given. This is Jesus, the prophet of the Nazareth of Galilee. This is the one. This is the one we've anticipated. This is the one we expected. He has come. You know, here's the thing. When we preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, too often times we don't really spend the time to get to figure out who this Jesus was. And so because Let me show this to you, how much we know that this is important. Let's go back over to the book of 1 Kings. And in 1 Kings, we see a similar situation that occurred. Let's go to chapter 1 of 1 Kings. And notice again, there was a one that had risen up, Adonijah, and he was going to usurp the authority 
over his brother Solomon, and he was going to be declared king. But notice what David does to prove to the world that this is the next appointed king. Let's go down to verse 33. And the kings also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your Lord, and call Solomon my Do you know that everybody knew that? Matter of fact, I'll give you an example in our own modern history what I'm talking about. How many of you all knew that Robert E. Lee had a bald horse? He did. A white horse that he called Traveler. There was another name that had been given that horse beforehand. But Robert E. Lee asked the owner if he could use that horse during the entire course of the Civil War. And Traveler is the only horse that Robert E. Lee had. And as long as he was upon Traveler, everyone knew that the, the general was there. Follow after the general. He's the one. We see the importance of these animals as they are given. And understand this, that colt would have wanted to rear up and he wanted to rebel and wanted to do all these things. But when Jesus sat upon that colt, that colt was as peaceful as he could be. Why was that colt peaceful? Because he knew that the king of kings had been on his back. And that king was going to be declared whether the world wanted him to be declared or not. He was going to be declared. Also, when he was in the garden, I want you to consider this. Let's turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John chapter 18. Again, this is all part of the Gospel. This is all part of the good news. This is all part of the message. In, in John chapter 18, I want you to look at verse 4. And the power of Jesus Christ. He had already been in prayer in the garden. He had already prayed, Lord, if it be thy will, let this cut pass from me. But not by my will, but thine be done. And then, of course, he had prayed this prayer so many times beforehand, but now it was coming to life. And in verse 4 it says, And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come unto him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Now that's a general question. Whom seek ye? And what's the rest of this? this? This is powerful to me. They said unto him, Jesus, I am. I am he. But look at what happened as soon as he said, I am he. And Judas also betrayed him, stood with them, and as soon as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and they fell to the ground. <laughs> they didn't And these men fell backwards and he waited for them to get up. <laughs> Look what else it says. Then he asked them again, Whom seek ye? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore you seek me, then let these go their way. Do you realize that in every situation, all of those that were the followers of a criminal would have been also brought to trial? But Jesus stood in the way. And he was able to convince them, I'm the one you're seeking, not them. 
that it might be fulfilled which spake of them which uh, which thou gavest me I have lost none watch this then and Simon Peter having a sword drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off the right ear and the servant's name was Malchus I don't know about you all I love this particular passage and here's why can you imagine Malchus going ah intent on Jesus that they forgot about it. But Jesus goes over and picks up the ear cuts off the dirt and puts it back on and heals it. I can hear. I hear perfectly. Can you imagine Malchus then being the one that had to lead Jesus back? I'm sorry my Lord. I'm so sorry. But why do you think Malchus is mentioned here? Imagine that he was one of those that was saved and added to the church on the day of Pentecost. And there's Malchus. Can you imagine? And he saved me. The message of hope is also wrapped up in the very fact that we see this message over and over again. Even Pilate understood that Jesus Christ was innocent. Turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 27. And in Matthew chapter 27, let's go down to verse 17 and notice what it says in regards to Pilate. And it says in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 27, make sure I'm in the right place, Therefore they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I should release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called the Christ? For he knew that for envy. They were envious of Jesus. They didn't bring Jesus because of the fact that he was guilty of any sin. He wasn't guilty. But they envied his power. They envied the fact that multitudes followed him. It says in another passage how that in John chapter 6 that after the high priest said, you go get him and you bring him back. They said, there's never been a man speak like this man. Even the captains could not regard People have tried to demonize Jesus over and again. But if he is truly the Lord God, by his own power and ability, he was going to be able to raise up again. With that in mind, let's go to John chapter, five, uh, chapter 10. And I want you to see the message when it comes to the gospel from Jesus' own words. I want you to look at this. John chapter 10. And in true fashion, I'm sure that Jesus was looking at the shepherds as they were taking their sheep into the sheepfold for the night. And every place where there was a sheepfold, there would be this round stone. The sheep would go in, and they would, they would sit in the doorway to make sure they were there. But I want you to get this. In verse 17, notice what the Lord says. Therefore doth my Father love me. This is a sign of love. And this, and I can also put it in this way. Therefore, does the Father love me and that he's going to allow me to die for you? 
to so I can show my love for you. Look what it says. Because I lay down my life that I might take it again. Now wait a minute, get this, come on. You see, salvation is only made possible because Jesus was willing to lay down his life. But he also knew Jesus was in such close communique with the Lord, with God the Father, that he knew that he was going to have to go to the cross. He knew from the beginning that he was going to have to die. He knew from the beginning that he was going to have to lay down his life. And then he would allow himself to be tortured. Please understand this. If you think for any moment that Jesus did not feel the, the pain and the suffering of his death, you are greatly misunderstood. Jesus Christ not only understood the power of his death, he endured the Please understand that. How much of a shame do you realize that Jesus hung on the cross without any clothes on? That's shame. He was whipped so terribly. It says in Isaiah chapter 54 that his visage, his body, could not even be told that it, he was truly a man or not. He looked like a chastised piece of beef hanging on the cross. Beforehand, you had the high priest that planted the crown of thorns upon his brow. They plucked the beard from his face. They spit into his face. They mocked him. They tried. Then they whipped him. Forty times for the cat of nine tails that would have stripped off the very flesh of his of his skin. Then he would have had to avoid the world. He was so spent with the loss of blood that they called upon another man, Simon the Swinging, to carry the cross on up the hill for him. And yet Jesus endured the shame, endured the cross for us. And when Jesus laid down his life, the high priest must have laughed and laughed and said, We have completed the greatest sacrifice. We have the way things have always been. And yet they were fearful of his message. Matthew chapter twenty eight says they even put a seal and a watch upon the cave that Jesus was buried in, hoping that no one would ever be able to bring him out. Little did they know, no stone could ever keep him in. No seal could ever keep him. The reason the angels rolled the stone away was not to release Jesus. If you ever see an image where the painters painted Jesus coming out victoriously and two angels on the side, I'm sorry folks, you got the wrong message. Jesus was already gone. They all they rolled the stone away to prove to everyone that the tomb
I'm right here. The message has to be completed. I understand this. And there's so much that I would go in. There's so much that I would love to be able to show you. But here's the thing. We are the ones that have the power. I read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But now as we conclude, I want us to go to chapter 9 or chapter 10. And let's go down of Romans chapter 10 down to verse 9. And, and, and notice how simple the message is. And I want to say this to my listeners that are, are tuned in today, to those that are here today also in the auditorium, that salvation is not hard. We make it difficult because we don't like what we, what we call easy beliefism. But notice how, how it is. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's very simple. I remember one time I sat with my, my son. He said, you know the hardest part that I have, Dad? It was the easiest part for me. He said the hardest part is truly believing that someone could come back to life. Tony was very close to Pete Horn's oldest boy that was accidentally shot and killed. He didn't come back to life. I too, Harry Bomber's boy, died also when he came home from school one day. I remember that. The plane crash at Marshall University and the effects that it had. How many believers were on that plane? I don't know. But the reality is, over and over again, we see death, we see no evidences of hope. I remember my grandfather, Prater, my papa Prater, when he died, I remember looking at the open casket and I thought, why can't Papa come back to life? He looks, he looks like he's ready to come back to life. Come on, Papa, just get up one more time. And what's going to happen? And I understand now the hardship of believing that Christ restored to life. But notice what it says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth that Jesus, the mouth of the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, I believe that. That's the simplicity of my faith. I believe that Jesus is resurrected. Look what else it says. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Watch this. The cry of a newborn babe is oftentimes uttered in the words, Do you believe? You remember when Philip joined himself to the Ethiopian eunuch and they went as he was traveling down to Gaza? And as he was traveling, he goes, I don't understand these words. I'm reading here from the book of Isaiah chapter 53, but I don't understand. Is this man speaking of himself or someone else? I can almost imagine, as Philip said, I'll be glad to show you. I'll be glad to tell you more. Well, stop the chariot long enough for Philip to come in. And as he got up in the chariot, he declared unto him Jesus Christ. Here's the thing that was amazing. They came to a pool of water, and the eunuch said, Here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Listen up. Do you believe? And Philip said, If thou believest with all, 
that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead, thou mayest. Not that you have. You may. Stop the chariot. What did the, what did the Ethiopian eunuch say? I believe. Do you realize every one of us here today wish we could hear the same story that Jesus said to Thomas? You believe because you see. None of us have seen Jesus Christ rose from the grave. But everyone that believes that Jesus Christ has risen, we believe. Look what else it says. For the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. I don't care how dysfunctional a church may be. I don't care how functional a church may be. If that church believes and preaches the gospel as it should be, maybe they make all kinds of mistakes. The fact is, the gospel is enough. And it is the gospel that brings salvation. Now that church has to get other things right. But it begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can be messed up on everything else under the sun, but the gospel must be preached. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call on him. That's the beautiful thing. I don't have to have prayer to save me, but I have a couple of evidences of it. You remember Cleopas and the other man as they were walking down the road to Emmaus, to Emmaus and Jesus joined them and was telling them all about their lack of faith. How many of us remember that Jesus stood before the congregation at the end of Luke chapter 24 and he goes, you guys, don't you believe ghost eat fish in a honeycomb? No. Let me tell you folks, every time I read the scripture and every time I hear the gospel, I have that much more to believe. And I have that much more to hold on to. The gospel is simple. Jesus Christ had proven himself to be worthy. He went to the cross on our behalf and he was crucified. And he let down his life. He gave it up. And everyone was amazed that he had died so soon, but he hung there lifeless. They took down his body, Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus late at night, and they wrapped him up, they put the ointments on him, they put him in the grave. Later on, they sealed that grave up with the stone and the seal and the watch that was around it. But that wasn't the end of the story. Three days later, he arose from the grave. And when he arose from the grave, he arose with great power and great glory. And he was seen not only of the eleven. He was seen of up to five hundred. But it's by faith that we believe the written word of God. Do you believe? Do you believe? I hope you can honestly say that you do, because that is the power of the gospel. Father, again, I want to thank you for that which you've given us today, and I pray that this message might have found its place 
and that we would rejoice. For those of us that know you as our Lord and Savior, we will rejoice in you, Lord. And whether it is someone amongst us or someone over the, 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 the airwaves or whoever it may be, that they may be able to hear the message and know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ came and died for them. But again, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit will take the message and open the understanding of those that are lost, that they may too see their need of a Savior and come rejoicing unto you. Again, Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have had to declare the message. Now lead us and bless. For it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Brother Randy, if you will, come.